God, we just want to pray your blessing upon him, everything that you have deposited in him for this moment. God, just may it flow from him. God, we thank you for the holy reverence that he holds the, the teaching and the preaching of your word. And we just pray your blessing upon him. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so much. Um, uh, thank you for, um, yeah, for coming this afternoon. I'm in the graveyard shift. Is not what they call this? So, uh, so if you nod off, don't worry. I'll not point you out or anything. That'll be okay. Just somebody beside you. If you snore, somebody snores. Hit them a little poke, will you, please? Um, that's so good to be. So that's been such a good weekend. We had a great day with leaders yesterday, and then today. Um, it has been special, and I'm sure you'll agree, Pete and Charlotte both did an incredible job, and uh, it's lovely to have seasoned Bible teachers. Um, whenever we talked about seminars, and the guy said to me, Phil, do you fancy doing a seminar, and what would you do it on? And I said, well, I would, I'd, I'd love to talk about margins. I'd love to talk about um, the margins of life, and you can see my little... Um, ramble that I wrote how to speed up by slowing down because we live in a culture that pushes us to the limit we live in that sort of a society it's a society that is uh, do more buy more accomplish more more is the big word isn't it more 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 and I would argue I think um, quite rightly that most of us in western culture are living at a non-biblical, unsustainable pace of life, and, um, and self-included. And uh, it's probably a little bit insane what has become normal today and what we've normalized. I um, talk to parents sometimes whose children at seven and eight years of age are out four and five nights of the week doing activities while trying to do their school homework, and it's just all of this, and it's sort of, it's, it's almost become normal. And the problem is their kids are stressed and the parents are stressed because they feel like a glorified taxi driver. And, uh, and for many of us, the schedules now that we impose on our kids just are um, transference of what is going on in our lives. And uh, uh, someone said one time, you're really enjoying your life. Most of us are saying, no, I don't have time to talk about it. I need to go. And uh, that's so true. And virtually everybody that I know has very little margin in their life. And margins are really important. When I was 21, I'm the youngest of seven. And um, I got saved when I was a kid. I got saved when I was six years of age. Grew up in a brethren home. My older siblings said they think I was born saved. But um, that... <laughs> Theologically, brethren, that's not true. And uh, but I, I don't actually remember a time not loving Jesus. And I did fall in love with the Bible when I was a kid. And um, it was back in the days when there was no such thing as a bedside lamp. And because there was seven in our house, there was four of us, four boys in one bedroom. And uh, I used to sit on the lantern at night because the only place I could get light to read my Bible. And I so I fell in love with the Bible when I was a boy. And, uh, and I, I, I suppose uh, through, through my life, things like that has happened. So when I was 21 years of age, um, they took me out, my family took me out for a meal and they bought me two Bibles. <laughs> it's weird, you're 21 and your family buys you two Bibles. And they bought me a Thompson Chain reference Bible 
and a wide margin Bible. I still have those Bibles. Both of them are falling apart, actually. But the wide margin Bible was a Bible that taught me something in life. And the wide margin Bible was just, literally, it was a big Bible that whenever you opened it had a big wide margin around the writing. And so you could write on it. And I began to realize in my 20s that, because I started my own business when I was 21, started my own business. I was a lorry driver for many years, built my own little haulage company, and I began to realize that I'd lost the margins in my life. And as I've got older, I began to realize that margins are really important. Now, most people are probably asking the question, and I'm going to answer it now, what is a margin? What, what, what do I mean when I say a margin? I say a margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. Margin is the amount that's available beyond what is necessary. So how does margin play out in everyday life? Let's give you a couple of scenarios. Margin would be showing up five to ten minutes early for a meeting instead of running in stressed out of breath. Um, so that would be, that would be margin. Uh, margin financially would be having a little bit of money left over at the end of the month. Wouldn't that be good? Some of you are thinking, wow, how would that fail? Um, uh, margin is having the distance between you and temptation. So rather than being morally on the edge of all the time, having preset buffers in your life where um, that keeps you from stumbling into life-destructive behavior. Margin would be having the emotional capacity to deal with problems when a son or a daughter um, rushes into your busy life with their problem and you sort of have an absolute meltdown. Um, that would be margin. Margin would be, uh, could be having three or four nights a week where you don't have to do anything, having a free schedule. Margin could be having extra time or extra money to invest and give to people and ministries that you love. Uh, margin could simply mean having time to think, having time alone, time to reflect, time to meditate, time to dream. And margin could be having a significant time with God, not a quick, God bless this meal, thank you, amen, but a significant time meditating in the presence of God. Those would all be, thing, those would all refer to me as margin. And simply the older I get, um, the more I'm convinced that the best things in life happen in the area of margin. As a matter of fact, I could go further to show you in the Gospels, most of Jesus' big significant works happened in a margin. Like the woman in Mark 5 with the issue of blood that Charlotte referred to this morning. It wasn't in his diary. It wasn't something he was planning to do. He was on the way to do something else. But, um, and what I would say is that when margin decreases, your stress increases. When margin decreases, your stress increases. And I go further to say, when margin decreases, your relational intimacy actually decreases. When margins decrease, your relational intimacy decreases. And that's not just with God, also um, in your marriages and in your businesses and in your families as well. And I <clears throat> can't tell you in my 30 years of pastoring, I can't tell you. Many times I've spoke to someone, and I find this hard to say even without emotion, but I, I found it hard to, to, I found it 
so many times send to people, I've missed you from church, haven't seen you about for a while. And their, their response is, I know, just so busy. I'm just so busy. And one of the hardest things as a pastor is over the years of praying, especially for people in the business world, praying for their businesses to succeed and watch their businesses succeed and their church attention and attendance diminish. God increases in this, and it seems that we repay him by um, not responding in the way we should. There's a story told of an old Indian chief who was his first time on a, on a train, and he kept pulling the emergency cord, and whenever the driver and the conductor of the train went down, they would find him out in the track, hunkered down with his head in his hands. This happened three times. The guy, eventually the conductor, says, you can't keep doing this. Why do you keep pulling the emergency cord and stopping the train? And the old Indian chief saying, I'm trying to give my body or my soul, my body and soul time to catch up because it feels like my body's going so fast that my soul can't keep up with it. Now, it's a funny story, but it's kind of true. Sometimes our bodies are running so fast that our souls can't contend. And so that's why I entitled this seminar, How to Speed Up While Slowing Down. It seems that we have to run just to stand still in modern society. And if Satan can't make us really, really bad, then I think he'll make us really, really busy. All right? If he can't make us really, really bad, then I think he'll make us really, really busy and text away. And we become so busy at doing lesser things that we miss out on the very important things and we are distracted from the very best things and sometimes we can go for the good and miss the best, all right? Now, I, my son, who's 36, him and his wife are in Australia in this moment in time and they're van lifers. They've been living in a van for about four or five years now, traveling Europe, having the time of their lives. They've both got degrees and they both do this, um, uh, what do you call it? online that they do um yeah well they do oh they youtube youtube but they they train others on online through and so also needs wi-fi and they travel all the time but i brought them the, they decided that they would park the van up for six months and they got a six-month visa to go to australia and so i took them to the airport on monday just passed and um i gave them a hug and i prayed for the both of them standing at the door of Dublin Airport at about 2 o'clock last Monday. Before lunchtime on Tuesday, he sent me this picture um, on his wife's phone because his battery was flat, and he said, Nearly there, Dad. Love you. He's 10, I don't know if you can see in the middle below the name Keeley there, 10,631 miles away. He sent me a pin. 10,631 miles away in less than 24 hours. And, and when I got that, I thought, that's how fast paced the world we live in. You can be 10,000 miles away in less than a day. And, uh, and yet, when I read in the Gospels, I read that Jesus never really was in a hurry. He never really got stressed and all of that. And he didn't really try to pack 24 hours into eight hours, which we often do. Now, I know he lived in a different culture. I know Jesus lived in the culture of camels and donkeys and walking. And I've walked the Valley of Doves. I know Ian was there, and we know what it's like to realize that Jesus walked and had loads of conversations and all of that. But he did have time for that woman 
that had the constant bleed. He did take time when he was on another appointment, all right? He did stop at a funeral, moved with compassion at the widow of Nain, and raised her son from the dead. He did take time um, to feed 5,000 people when everybody wanted to send them home, and it was sunset, and it was time for them all to go home, and Jesus said, let's not be in a rush. He did take time to sit down um, on the mountain and teach the Sermon on the Mount that we have so beautifully illustrated in Matthew's Gospel. He did take time to take three of his disciples up onto the mount and show them a further explanation of his glory because he took time to do those things. And there never has been a day when we're more bombarded with tools and programs and planners and apps designed to create focus and balance in our lives. And even though all of these things are at our fingertips, um, as a society, we've never been more stressed, we've never been more sleep-deprived, and we've never been more overwhelmed, I think. And I think the problem with that is twofold, as I've prayed about this, and I'm going to give you a little bit of um, practical ideas of some of the things that have worked for me. But I think the problem is twofold. I think, firstly... People look for a new program to fit their hectic lives into. We're always looking for a nap or something to try and suit our hectic lifestyles. Instead of starting the day with a godly plan and an effect of walking out day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year with Jesus. And let me also say that I'm not an expert in this at all, but I'm in my mid-60s and I'm learning. I'm learning. And an old mentor said to me one time, Phil, never say I've learned. Always say I'm learning. Because he says, the moment you say I've learned, God will teach another example to show you that you've learned nothing. <laughs> so, um, so I always use the little phrase, I'm learning. It's a process, and I'm learning in this. The second thing I'd say is the key to having margin in your life is not trying to balance your life, it's trying to have priorities in your life. People are always trying to balance their life, trying to balance their work life with their home life, with their church life. And it's all about balance, trying to balance. And it's not about balance, it's about priorities. And if you try to balance something, years ago, Wayne Cordero taught this in the Willow Creek conference that I was at. He called it the law of the fulcrum. And if you know what the fulcrum is, the fulcrum is the tipping point where, where the seesaw works. And he said, what happens is, how we try to get balance in our lives is we think that one side of the fulcrum is, is, our, is our sort of God life and the other side of the fulcrum is our home life or our work life and we try to figure out how do we get this tipping point? How do we get this balance? And he said, you've got to understand the law of the fulcrum. So this week, this week has been a really busy week. I booked Wednesday and Thursdays off. My wife's in the front row, so I have to be really, really careful. I booked Wednesday and Thursday off this week because I knew it was going to be a really hectic weekend. Now, the two days off didn't really come to fruition because there was loads of things happened. We had some electrical problems in the building, and I was here a good bit. But the reason I did that was I was trying to move the fulcrum because what you do is, what you do when life gets busy, so... Um, uh, yesterday morning at uh, about 8 o'clock, I said to Laurie, Laurie, I'll see you on the other side of the weekend. It's just going to be a busy weekend. I'll see you on the other side. And the fulcrum is that we know this weekend is about this. So the, fulc the, the fulcrum's here, all right? 
Now, next week, what I'm planning to do is take a couple of days off, and I'm just going to move the fulcrum. And so what you do is that's, that it's, it's not about balance, it's about priorities, and I think that's really important. And balance is what happens when you have parts of your life equal to one another. And Jesus doesn't want to be balanced with anything in your life. He doesn't want to be balanced with anything else in your life. He wants to be first and foremost. And we seek first the kingdom of God. Is not Matthew 6.33. That's what we're told to do. And so, and I think, I think he has given us a plan for priorities uh, that will help us sort out the margin in our lives. And I'll give you a few practical points on that. And here are some things that I have strived. And this is just me. And it works for me. And it mightn't work for you. But it, it, it works for me. All right? The first thing I would say is morning. Now, I am a morning person. I love the mornings. I love getting up early, and I love spending time with God in the morning. I have loads of theology about that. Um, the manna had to be gathered in the morning. If you didn't lift it before sunrise, it rot. But then I, I, I know there's mums in the room. And so when you've got a screaming toddler at five or six in the morning, you know, um, and I have so many mums said to me, Dad, or said to me, Phil, I have three daughters as well, just said, Dad, mornings just don't work for me. And that's, I totally get that. And so for them, it's getting their kids out to school. And then, uh, I don't know, I get three or four mums said to me, today on the way in, I was greeting people at the door, and two or three mums said to me, oh, this is so good today, I have no kids. <laughs> so this is like a day off. And I can totally understand that. I have a friend who's a businessman who starts really early, and he leaves the house about 6 o'clock every morning. He goes to the factory. He gets his workers all going. And he says about 9 o'clock, when he has everything all sussed, he gets into his pickup, takes his coffee mug, heads down the road, there's a little lay-by, pulls in, and in his pickup truck, meets with God every morning. Well, I'm saying you just got to do what works. What works for you? Mornings works for me. Um, and I say... Um, there's, there's many reasons that it works for me, and that's okay at my stage of life. So, but here, here's what Hudson Taylor said. Hudson Taylor said, um, don't have your concert first and then tune your instruments afterwards. I love that. Begin the day with the Word of God in prayer and get, first of all, into harmony with Him. All right? And, of course, Hudson Taylor wasn't the first to say it. King David said it. He said, in the morning, and if you're following my devotions... In the morning, I pray this prayer from Psalm 5. My mom called it our morning prayer every morning. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my prayer. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And can I say to you that something happens when we start our day early by tuning our hearts in prayer and communion to God. There's just something happens with it. And for those who have, those of you who are leaders and have families also over the years, I've realized that some of the sweetest moments in my life were when my kids came down early in the morning and dad was in the word or in prayer. There's just something about it, and I think it's really important. George Mueller put it like this. George Mueller said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Not lovely. Have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glory the Lord, but how I might get my soul in a happy state 
and how my inner man or inner person may be nourished. There's just something about that. And of course, again, the Bible beat him to it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to it. All right? Um, the second thing I'd say to you is to know your day. Know your day. Make it happen. Just don't let it happen. Laurie and I have this little thing that we do. Every Sunday night, we do dairies. We, do, we just say, let's do dairies. Let's see what's happening in our week. And uh, I'm out this night, and you're out there, and can you get Daniel there, and I'll do this. And, and so we try to do that every Sunday night, and I try to do this every day. I do a to-do list, and I'm a, I'm a scribbler. I write in the back of a postage stamp. That's the truth. Um, and so I, I'm a journaler, and my journals make no rhyme or reason. I think I could have half a dozen journals going at one time. I said to Laurie, if I go before you, make sure they go with me. No one, either they, either they go into an incinerator or they go into the box with me. No one is allowed to read them. They're my intimate moments with God. And so I would say, make it happen. Just don't let it happen. Have a clear agenda for the day and know what's important. So, so for many years, I thought my morning devotions with the Lord was a spiritual decision. And the agenda for my day was a business professional um, decision. And that's wrong. That's a wrong thinking. Until one day, I read this, um, and it's probably one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So every day of my life, and every day of your life, is ordained of God. You can read passages like um, Ephesians 2.10, that reminds us that God actually foreordained works for you to do before you were ever born. And it's a good idea for you to find out what those were instead of having your own agenda. So if God has ordained each one of your days in his book, don't you think it would be a good idea each morning to bring that day to him and ask him, is your agenda his agenda? Now, I know in the workplace, you've got to go to work and all of that. But that's all carrying. We're, I, I've long, long since got over that idea that some of us are in ministry and some of us are working in secular. And there's this sort of secular and ministry thing. It's, it's, we're all in ministry. All of us, if we're born again and love Jesus, we're all in ministry. We're all serving God in some uh, capacity. And I can't tell you how freeing it was to begin... Uh, my, to bring my agenda, my planning before the Lord every day during my devotions and ask him what, my, what his will was for me in that and who could I talk to and where would the margins be that if someone came into my life, I would have room for that. Um, just last week, uh, last Friday, um, I was just, last Friday I was off. I'm off on a Fridays and uh, I was off on Friday and yet, I had to meet someone in church because it was the only day it suited them to meet. And so I met them in the morning. And the meeting was 10, 10 to 11. And it ran on a little bit. And uh, it went on until about 20 past 11. And then I said to the, to the people who were with me, I said, look, we'll go to half 11. We'll cut it off at that. And so um, they went. And then I took a little, it was in church here in the prayer room. And I took a little dander around church to make sure everything was all right for the next day. And as I came out through the door, just as I opened the front door of church, this guy 
a friend of mine for many, many years and in the ministry, he's a minister of the gospel. Um, just I, As I opened the door, he was just standing there and his tears were just coming down his cheek. And he drove an hour and a half, doesn't live local, he drove an hour and a half, I'm not going to tell you where he drove from, but he drove an hour and a half and he was in a bad way and suffering from stress, suffering from burnout. And his wife said to him, you need to get into the car and you need to drive to Lurgan and if the Lord wants you to meet Phil Emerson, the Lord will make it work. Now it was my day off. I shouldn't even been in church. And I bumped into him at the door. We spent the next hour and a half ministering and asking God to come in. I said, margins, margins. If you don't have margins, then things don't actually happen. And so... Um, uh, Although my time with the Lord always evolves a bit, for most part, I structure my devotions and my agenda a bit like this, all right? So if this helps with you, as I say, it mightn't work for all, but it's just the way it works for me. I read as a discipline. I'm not a good reader. I've never been a really, I'm not an academic, all right? Uh, I say I'm not a theologian. I'm just a boy with a Bible. And uh, But I read as a discipline, all right? It's always been... Uh, a discipline. So I, my marriage is important to me. So I read, I, re, I make sure I read at least one good marriage book a year because I feel it's something I always need to invest into. I need, I, I, now, when, when you talk to some of the gurus around that tell me they read a, a book a week or a book a month, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Three to four a year will do me. It's just, that's who I am. So I try to read at least two leadership books a year I make sure I read a marriage book a year, something really, really good. And then I, I, I love biographies and autobiographies. I read something just for fun um, because I feel I can glean from that. So I read as a discipline. But, um, and, and when it comes to the Bible, it could be multiple chapters. And we follow in the daily devotion plan. Of course, we're doing that. But sometimes I think what happens, in, especially in the world I grew up in, what you do when you go to read in the morning, this is what you do, right? You turn over to see how many verses is in the chapter. <laughs> Come on. We've all done it, haven't we? And we go, like if it's a big, like 60 verses, we go, oh. <laughs> like, what's the fun in that? You know, and, and, and so what we're actually doing, we're just reading out of duty. Now, I know I need to read as a discipline. But what happens is because we're so busy trying to get to the end of what we think we need to read, we miss what God really wants to say. And sometimes in the middle of that, and I, I, I rem, like I'm with Charlotte and the little things in the Bible that, that I love to, 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 to ponder over. So, for instance, when John 3 tells me, or John 2, sorry, tells me that Jesus turned up at a wedding on day three. I want to know that. I want to know. Why did the Holy Spirit feel it was important to tell us? Why could he not just say he was a bit late? Or why didn't he just tell us he came to a wedding and doesn't tell us what day he came? But he told us he, the Holy Spirit felt it was important. We, we need, and there's something for you to go home and study. And, and I love little things like that. I love those little things to ponder. So, for instance, I remember reading the parable of the sower. I was a sailor. I sailed a sand barge in Loch Day for many years. So, and I remember coming across Loch Ness and the sand barge one day and reading in Mark 4 the parable of the sower. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand everything else? And that caught me. 
And I think I spent three weeks in that one little phrase, just trying to figure out what did it mean? Why did the Holy Spirit say that? And so this is really important. So um, stop and find what God is saying. Write in a journal. I write in my journal. I've come to appreciate the value of writing down what the Lord's saying. If you don't write it down, I always say that a short pencil is better than a long memory. All right? So don't forget to write it down. Write journal what God is saying um, through the Scripture because he'll speak to you. I believe that he speaks Every time you read the Bible, you can expect to hear the word of the Lord. Um, I pray. Prayer is one of the best. We've Well, I, I needn't say too much more about that. We've sat this morning under the teaching of that. And the 24-7 prayer course is amazing in that. They do the eight segments on the Lord's prayer, adoration, petition, intercession, unanswered prayer, contemplation, listening, spiritual warfare so there's the prayer course on the 24 7 prayer course is now the prayer course two as well are excellent resources the resources we have at this moment in time are pretty incredible and then i do my to-do list so i begin to write down the items that need to get done today and of course i want to hand them over to god the people that i need to meet and um and yeah, so I, I, I write a to-do list every morning in my journal and, uh, and then I, I do a little exercise where I prioritize my to-do list. You're all probably saying, this guy is definitely weird. And I prioritize it by a little thing, red, amber, green. I've used this for years. So the things that are really urgent for me, the reds are really urgent. This needs done today. That's top of priority. Amber is okay needs done, but if it doesn't get done till tomorrow and the greens, sometimes the greens can go from one week to the next. Um, and uh, this just works for me. It's a little system that works for me. And the last thing that I'd say to you that's really important is morning, know your day, and rest. Now, true rest is something that, uh, that I think so few actually get this. And they find, don't find it on a consistent basis. And I think it's really important. And God created our bodies to need a break to function properly. And therefore, if we want to be our best, we have to take this seriously. And Lorna was quoting that verse. There you go. Be still and know that I am God. And some of us just don't know how to be still. All right. My mom used to say, son, you are the biggest fidget. I was a brethren boy, so you had to sit for an hour and you weren't allowed to move. I think you were hardly allowed to breathe. Um, never mind open a suite. That was the unforgivable sin. So um, I have found that the target for rest is to think of it um, daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally, and yearly. And of course, um, you need to work this into your system, how it works for you. And I heard somebody speaking this years ago, and I felt it was really really important that um, that you needed something to break your day, you needed something to break your week, and you needed some little seasonal breaks, and of course you need a, a holiday at some stage, whatever that, however that works for you. And so this is going to sound really weird, but I have a pair of these, like, um, what do you call those things I wear, my sandals? Crocs, that type of thing. And I, I, for me, when I get home at night, when I get home from work, the first thing I do is kick my shoes off and I slide my feet into those and I feel like I'm on holy ground. I feel like I can go, 
That sort of breaks my day. Anybody that's in my life group knows I still wear those things. But um, uh, I, I just love that. I love that. I, 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 in my head, I, I start on Sunday. I get up early on Sunday mornings. You get up around 5.30 on Sunday morning. And I want to give the morning to the Lord. I want to know that I'm coming to church to feed the flock. That I'm coming with a full soul and a full heart. And I've spent time with God. And so... In my head, I start working Sunday morning, and I give it my all, and I work to Thursday night. And when I drive out of here on Thursday night, I know that I've given everything, every ounce. I've given it my best. And on Friday, I can take my day off. And on Saturday, I can wash my car, which is like <laughs> holy ground. I'm a petrol head, so I just love cars. So... um uh, so it's really important, all right, really important for no matter your situation, I think it's healthy to think in these terms. How do you, how do you end your day? How do you end your week? Uh, are, there, are there little breaks that you take as, as, as a couple together if you're married? What way does that work for you? How do you, how do you recreate the energy that you've spent? Because that's what recreation is, isn't it? Recreating what you've spent, all right? So think about how to do that. Now, when, when I look in Scripture... For rest, I find it in three areas, all right? And I find this uh, silence is really, really important, all right? And we live in a noisy world. We're bombarded by noise 24-7. There's noise everywhere. And yet Jesus said to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place where we can get some Rest, bombarded by noise. So silence is really important to me. Solitude is really important. I know it's extra, for you extroverts in here, I'm an introvert. I call myself a situational extrovert. I work hard to be extroverted at times, but I'm an introvert. I love my own space. I love my own, I love my own time. I love time with my family. And so um, uh, Jesus often withdrew to uh, lonely places and prayed. Isn't it interesting to see um, that we we are always going to meetings? We're like there's always a meeting to a meeting to a meeting to a meeting. And when yet when I read the New Testament, Jesus was always trying to get out of meetings, <laughs> wasn't he? Jesus was always withdrawing to solitude with the Father. He was always trying to get away from a meeting. We're always, he, he withdrew from the crowd and he went to be alone. We're always trying to get to the meeting. And so um, it's really important to understand that Jesus got alone and he did it often. And we should follow the example by planning times to turn off our screens, turn away uh, the people pulling at us and get alone in our, we've 20 staff here in Lurgan now. And um, in our, one of the things that we've done with our staff is every season, our staff, all of our staff have a one day that they get paid for to take a retreat. Now, they have to report back. It's not, they're not allowed to go shopping, <laughs> all right? Um, they're not allowed to land bed all day um, unless they're really seeking the Lord. And I suppose, how would we figure that out? But anyway, all of our staff get a day every season that they can retreat. And uh, we, we love to hear how that retreat went, all right? Um, and then... The third little thing, the three S's, silence, solitude, and of course, sleep. I've spoke about it before, but it's really important, all right? 
um, sleep, it may seem like an obvious solution to rest, but it's one of the things we need to preach about. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And then, of course, that brilliant verse, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, that word just sounds lovely, doesn't it? Rest. Um, D.A. Carson, who wrote in the book Scandalous, The Cross and the Resurrection of Jesus, he said sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is to get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. And modern culture doesn't tell you that. Modern culture tells you the opposite. And I love the story in First Kings when Elijah is running from Ahab after he has defeated all the prophets of Baal and he's in a depressed state and he's tired, he's weary, the man's burned out. And he's running from Jezebel and Ahab, completely stressed, on the verge of a mental breakdown to the point where he wants to give up and die. Just, just take me home, God, he says. And uh, he gets this help from an angel. An angel comes and he sleeps. And then he gets up and they, they make him food. There's food to eat. He eats. And then he sleeps again. And then he gets up and he eats some more. Isn't it amazing when the prophet of God was down, he didn't get a supernatural word from God. He got a good night's sleep and two good feeds. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, I love it. So rest is the simplest form, and its simplest form is getting the sleep we need. And then lastly, my fourth point of, of, this is just a preacher, you know, you have a point and then you have six points on the point. So this is my fourth big point. All right. Um, uh, uh, What are the three or four big things to say yes to? in this season of your life. And um, Andrew Wigglesworth, who's been a great friend of ours, and when to both Al and I over the years when we went through our grief and sorrow and times of brokenness and loss, she was so good to us. And she used to say to me, Phil, and she said this to me lately, actually. She says, Phil, I've said this to you a hundred times. And I said, Andrew, I think it's maybe more like a thousand. But um, she said, I've said this to you a hundred times in the last 25 years. What are the three or four big yeses in your life that are worth saying a thousand no's to? What are the three or four big yeses in your life that are worth saying a thousand no's or two? Like John Maxwell reminds us um, in his book that none of us actually can do more than three or four things really well. And I often think of them like this. So uh, for me, if, if I were to think of the three things that I think God has called me to do in this season of my life, I put them into three P's. Now, it's just the, it's the brethren boy. You can take the boy out of the brethren. just can't take the brethren out of the boy. And for me, in my, this season of my life, these are the three things that God has said to me in this season of my life that I want you to give. These are the three big, the three big P's. <laughs> that are, are, are for your next season of life. I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. I want you to rise early and I want you to seek me. I want you to pray. I want you to intercede. I want you to see people set free. I've prayed for deliverance for 
many, many people now because when I turned 60, I felt God, I was thinking God about what I should do for this decade and I felt God called me into intercessory prayer and I fought him for a whole year on it. I did. I said, God, I've, Lorna Hutchison's great at that. So, <laughs> Beth can do that, but it's not for me, God. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher, you know, but God, I, I, and, and you, you know the story, don't you know, that the biggest battles that you fight aren't always with um, the devil. <laughs> Usually your biggest ones are with God, and um, he, he always wins. You just got to give in. And so I felt God say to me, pray like you've never prayed before. I want you to continue to pastor, and I want you to preach. I've, I put them in that angle because, and here's the reason I put them like that. I think if you could find out the three big things that God has called you to do this season and put them into an order, you'll find it'll really work. So for me, I, I, it ticks me uphill. <laughs> I, I, I love to pray. I pray in bed. I pray when I drive. I pray when I walk. And I love to pray. It inspires me. I never get tired of it. Um, I, I, I just want to get better at it, all right? Pastoring is my... These changed, by the way. I had to really figure this out. These changed over the, over the seasons and over the years. Um, and, and actually, in my three, if I had to go to my 50s, prayer wasn't even on it, all right? So um, the, this here, pastor, is something I do. It's something I love to do. It's my natural gift, and I love to pastor pastors now pastor ministers and I love to preach the word you see how the arrow goes down if I preach six times in a week I'm busted and I can't pastor very well and I can't pray very well because it takes me it takes energy so what I'm giving to you now didn't come like I didn't sit down at my desk and do this in half an hour when I preach on a Sunday, I reckon there's 16 to 20 hours work into a Sunday morning. So it's half a week. And so if I, if I do four of them, you can see how it, it, starts, to, it starts to rob of, of the things that you're actually called to do. And so I have to be really careful with that. And so when we, come, when, when I, when we, when we planted back in 1996, I preached the midweek. I preached Sunday morning. I preached Sunday night. I just couldn't. And, I, and after a year, a couple of years, five years of that, I was just, I was in mental breakdown. And I began to realize that I just couldn't do that all the time. And so I got to the stage where I very seldom I'd preach price twice. I know we do two services on a Sunday, but they're both the same preach. But I mean, preaching the morning and the evening, two different messages. I just found I didn't have the energy to do that and do the rest. You see what I mean? So it's really important to try and figure that out, all right? Because some of us are, are thinking at the minute like spinning 10 or 20 plates, and you can't do that. We're not designed to do that. Our bodies are not designed, and our minds are not designed to do that. And when you stop living according to the patterns of the world, then you will, you will, you will start to live according to the rhythms of grace. And when you live according to the rhythms of grace, you will never be the same. Dallas Willard put it this way. He said that your soul is like a stream of water which gives strength and direction and harmony to every other part of your life. I love that. Your soul is like a stream of water that gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other part of your life. He says you didn't create the stream. God did, but you are the keeper of the stream. 
You didn't create it. God did, but you're the keeper of the stream. And if you're going to live effectively, then you have to own the health of your own soul. There's a great passage in Deuteronomy 30 in the first 10 verses. I'll not take time to read it. But in the first 10 verses, it sort of um, gives us an invitation. It gives an invitation to Israel to live this unbelievable life where it says he'll make you prosperous. He'd, he'd make them increase in number. He'd give them abundant crops. And then in the next four verses from 10 to 14, he says it's theirs for the taking. It's like the yours to take. And he, he said, here it all is, and I'm making this rich life abundant to you. It's yours just for the taking. And 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us of this, that everything we need for life and godliness is actually already given to us. It's already given to us. It's ours. It's our inheritance. And one of the best days of my life, I have to say, when was, was when I... I was on a flight home from doing some stuff for Pioneer in England, and I was I, I was on the way home in the plane, and I was sitting talking to God. This is maybe 10, 15 years ago, and I said, God, my life's a thousand miles an hour. I'm just trying to make ends meet, blah, 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 on and on I go. And I said, just feel like my, I feel like my, my diary's getting bigger and my soul's getting smaller. My diary's getting more and more full and my soul is shrinking. And, uh, and I, I just got overcome with emotion. And I don't know if that's ever happened. It's really embarrassing in a full plane. We actually get overcome with emotion. I'm an old yap anyway. I, cry, I cried at Bombay. And, um, and I cry at everything. My wife says, I cry, I cry at the six o'clock news. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's, 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 and so I began to weep and I began to weep. And I felt God said to me, Phil, I want you to take charge of your soul. And I think one of the best days of my life was that day, this that day when I began to own the health of my own soul because it was a season that I felt I was neglecting it and then it just got dry. And, um, and in recent years, the older I've got, I've been learning this principle that has changed my life. And here it is, right? The main thing that you have to give in serving God is you. Now, that's not that intellectual, but it's very, very powerful. The main thing that you have to give in serving God is you. And near the end of that chapter in Deuteronomy, that chapter in Deuteronomy 30, uh, uh, the Lord issues this challenge. He says this, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And then he says, now choose life. I love that. Now choose life. And as we draw this to conclusion, I want to say this to you. Life's a choice. And it's your choice. It's not your family's choice. It's not your neighbor's choice. It's your choice. And you need to choose well and embrace it because you are the keeper of the stream, your soul. You're the keeper of the stream, your soul. So I'd love to pray for you. It's 22, and um, I know there's no tea or coffee, but there's water and crisps and chocolate down there, and you might want to get a little bit refreshed. Um, uh, um, but let me pray for you. And there's... Is that okay? Did that resonate with you? Did that help? I just 
can I say to you, just create margins. Just create margins. Make sure there's room in your life. I say it to the guys all the time. I, 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 cause in, in, we, we work in Google Calendar and we all share calendars. 20 of our staff, we all, I, I have all their calendars on my phone and they have mine as well. So we know where each other is and they make fun of me all the time because Dave and Rick especially, I, I put every, I, I work out of rest and I've got, I think God did that evening and morning with the first day. We would say morning and evening. God always works out of rest. And so what I do is I put things in my diary that are really, I'm not saying all the other things aren't important, but a coffee with my wife is important to me. It's one of the most important appointments. So it goes into my diary. So it, when it's in my diary, then I'm not going to say, well, that's not important. I'll do something else. This is going to sound really funny. I put cotton my lawn in my diary um, because it's in my diary. And I know when I'm going to do it. And it's all in my diary. And the guys make fun. Phil's cutting his lawn today. And, um, and, and, and then all the, other stuff can, all the other stuff can fit around my schedule. Because it's important to me. And so what I do in my diary is I create, I create margins. And so when, when, when some of the guys, I'm not mentioning names. When some of the guys put in meeting someone 10 to 11, someone 11 to 12, and someone 12 to 1. I say, guys, come on. That's just not going to work. Because you have no margin. And if that meeting goes over five minutes, then you're five minutes late for the next person. That's just going to go into the next person. So that doesn't work. You need to be, there needs to be an hour in between or at least 30 minutes in between um, meetings. And you don't, if you're going to be giving yourself to people and talking to people all the time, you can't do 20 a day. Three to four. Because then what's happening by, by number 11, they're not getting anything from you anyway. They're just looking at a zombie. You're just staring at them and nodding. <laughs> and they think they're being helped and blessed. So, so if, 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 you, if you have an appointment with me, I can guarantee you I will give you my all. And I want you to know that. If you have an appointment with me, I will come to that and give you my all as best I can. And so I don't want to be, I don't want you to be number 15 on the, on the line that day and looking at me like I have uh, like two heads. But let me pray. God, I just ask you today that by the Holy Spirit that you would pierce our hearts, that you would give us the courage to make significant life changes that would honor you. Lord, make us realize that uh, this is not about us. It's about you. And uh, you have our good in your heart, and we should have your glory in ours. You want what's best for us, and we want to honor you in all that we do and all that we say. And so, God, I, for one, I refuse to surrender to the culture that will not, and I will not give my life away to things that don't matter. God, would you help us all to create margin, margin for the most important things in life? Will you help us to seek you first, to know you, and to know your guidance. Lord, we realize that we're not coming to you today asking you for a better life. We're saying, come to us, Jesus, because you are better than life. And to have you is to have life eternal. And so, God, I just pray that over each and every one. I pray, God, that as we move into this week, that we 
are now coming into God, that we will be carriers of your blessing, that we will be distributors of your blessing, God, that we won't just meet people without having something to offer them, that there'll be enough margin in our lives that we'll be carriers of what you have. And Lord, we'll be able to impart some of that into the person. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come and minister to us by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.